Hello, Arizona Cardinals fans. Welcome in. This is the Revenge of the Birds podcast, episode three. We're going to be recapping the Oakland Raiders game. I'm as, my name is Blake Murphy. I am joined, as always, by my co-host, John. And, John, let's talk a little bit about how we were going to come into this week going over maybe all right, the Cardinals are expecting them to you know pull out a win over the Raiders, talk about maybe receiver help, just kind of like a more typical week. And the Cardinals dropped a game to the Raiders that we did not expect them to drop a game they should have won, a game that they seem to have won multiple times, gave the game away. It is kind of turned into almost hitting DEFCON 1 out here in the Valley from talking with people. Um, John, what in the world happened in this game, and how have we kind of gotten here to this point that we're talking about a Cardinals loss of the only game they were favored and the only game we probably expected them to really win the rest of this season? Yeah, it's a it's a brutal reality when you're losing to a team at home uh, that is basically trying to lose games on purpose. They're not actively saying that. They would never say that. Um, but this is a team that doesn't have a, a stadium to play in as of 2020 or 2019. I'm sorry. They'll be in Vegas mm-hmm. in 2020. They traded their best player, Cleo Mack, uh, before the season started. They traded one of their three best players in Amari Cooper, uh, before the trading deadline, and it was reported that every player was available for a specific price, that John Gruden is basically having a fire sale, that, you know, they'll attempt to be competitive on Sundays, but, you know, this week it had been reported that the Raiders were only doing, like, preliminary walkthroughs. They were not having padded practices. I mean, it, just bizarre, and it makes it all the more disappointing and you know, you're getting the sense of a rock bottom reality for the Arizona Cardinals that you lost to this team at home in your building 23-21. And, you know, I don't expect either one of these teams to win another game this season. And the Oakland Raiders still have a higher draft pick than the Arizona Cardinals. So really, like the Cardinals lost this game and lost also in the standings of, you know, even had you won this game, you're probably getting in the top five anyway. You lost this game, and you're still behind Oakland and San Francisco. Well, they're right. technically technically they are ahead of Oakland currently, but only due to strength of schedule. Like they don't have anything that goes as far as head to head. If you have the same strength of schedule, the Raiders would end up picking behind the Cardinals right now. So right now, as it stands, the Arizona Cardinals are in a spot where they're not going to be favored to win a game for the rest of the season, and they're going to be going up against kind of with a lot of. Cardinals players are wondering, at least, are, is this going to be a team that's going to officially kind of give up on Wilkes or it's going to come out? There's going to be like the same lifelessness that you've seen the Raiders have. And I think that was the, the toughest thing for me, John, is you look at how the game went according to just about every game they've played so far. You kind of had some mistakes that were made early. You saw some errors on defense that came up early. You saw some, uh, you know, some room for improvement on offense. But you also saw the team drive down, get two touchdowns. And you look at the Raiders when you're talking about if they were tanking or not, there's a part of me that was thinking we were going to come in talking about saying did it really kind of count because this is a Raiders team that on third and goal they got stuffed you're basically at fourth and from the two yard line come on this is the spot where you're behind you go ahead and punch the ball in you're going to basically have a chance to you know take a 10 point lead on the Arizona Cardinals if you do it if you don't guess what they've got a bad offensive line they're going to be throwing from their own end zone on the two yard line you have the chance to maybe force an interception or pull safety on Josh Rosen they don't do that they kick a field goal they only go up the card 
Cardinals have a chance to be able to get back into the game. Later in the game, they're on the 38-yard line. It's, I believe, fourth and one. They choose to punt, give the ball back to the Cardinals. Uh, the Cardinals end up taking over, drive down, get a touchdown to take the lead. It was just an area where you felt like the Raiders were not actively trying to win the game. They, they weren't pulling the Herm Edwards, you know, you play to win the game. It was almost like they were saying, well, we're going to just go ahead and take the safe points. We don't care if the Cardinals come back or lose it. It felt like it was tanking. Get to that last play, that booming punt, and then the Raiders just drive down the field, a couple of blown plays, uh, completely blown coverage, a lack of the Cardinals using timeouts to notice where coverages had been, just a total mismanagement down the stretch. Raiders kick a field goal, win the game, and you're just suddenly stuck at the realization of, gosh, if they were the worst team in the NFL and they came in, ran the football on us 150 yards, they beat us, like, what does that make you? And it makes a lot of Cardinals fans feel like, you know, if it wasn't for Jimmy Garoppolo going out, would this be a worst team in the NFL 0-16 type of season you'd be talking about? And already people are mentioning that this, John, may be the worst Arizona Cardinals team that we've seen. It's not maybe the worst Chicago Cardinals team. People are going back to, like, you know, 1950 or, like, 1947 as far as for 0-10 teams. But, John, this this is not good. Yeah, it's, it's the worst team uh, that I've seen – since following the team since they've come to Arizona. My dad was a, a big St. Louis Cardinal fan <clears throat> in the 60s and 70s. And so, you know, I'm not as knowledgeable with, with, the, uh, with the franchise, you know, pre-Arizona, although I know of the team and a little bit of the history while they were in St. Louis because I'm, you know, two and a half hours away from St. Louis. But as far as the team <clears throat> that's, that's been in the Arizona area, Played at Sun Devil Stadium, now at State Farm Stadium. This is the worst team by far. Even worse than that team in, I believe it was 2004, that only won a handful of games when they got Larry Fitzgerald. I mean, this is worse. Generally speaking, when the Cardinals are bad, they're not the worst team in the league. They're somewhere within that three to five range. Um, maybe either, you know, the outside of the, the top five, six, seven, eight. Um, and that's kind of always been our knock on them. If you're going to be bad, be the worst team and get the first <laughs> overall pick and get the, get the quarterback. Right. And of course the Cardinals, our Cardinals would, would have, would even screw that up, go backwards and get mm -hmm. the quarterback the year before then the next year compete for the first overall pick when you don't need a quarterback. It's just super ironic, but back to the game, you know, you, you mentioned, you know, all the key points, Blake, I, I don't think the team has quit because I think that they are, competitive in a <clears throat> certain areas. I just don't think that they're prepared and that's coaching. If you're coming out and you're getting double moved and guys like Jared Cook are wide open on the, the first, you know, series for the Oakland Raiders offensively and you're, you're down, you know, before we've even reached the halfway point of the first quarter yep. and you're befuddled as to what's going on, like that's coaching. The Cardinals offensively are a shell of themselves uh, under Bruce Arians mm -hmm based on the fact that this offensive line is a serious problem. We'll talk about it, I'm sure, in the weeks to come. I am legitimately concerned for Rosen's health behind off this offensive line, but you saw it right away. The Oakland Raiders have statistically the worst um, pressure of any team getting after the quarterback uh, of any team in football. And, you know, part of that is they traded away their best player on defense. But it came into this week. It's what was going to live up to the bill and either the Cardinals offensive line, which is mm -hmm. horrendous, potentially the worst in football, was going to take on the Raiders pass rush, which is awful. Uh, and the first series, even though the, you know, Josh Rosen wasn't sacked, you know, pressure led to that first interception. Yep. He's trying to step into a throw. 
it's getting knocked backwards. And, you know, they, Gary and Conley, I believe, comes away with the pick. Um, they only had one sack and four pressures, but to me it seemed like a lot more. I felt like Josh Rosen was under duress most of the day. I thought he began, unfortunately, to start seeing ghosts a little bit, rushed a couple of his throws. And, again, if you're getting knocked around week in and week out and, and put on your backside, that's going to happen. You just hope it's not a, a trend going into next year. Uh, defensively, the Cardinals just look completely out of sync after having a, a pretty commendable game a week ago against Kansas City. You mm-hmm. thought maybe they're turning the corner. Guys are figuring out their roles finally, uh, taking a monster step back. Uh, this is the, uh, the Arizona defensive line did not look particularly good in this game. Right. Of course, Robert Kandichi not playing is a non-factor. You've got nobody really to hang your hat on uh, on that defensive line outside of Chandler Jones right now. Corey Peters has been doing fine, but as far as what you're needing with a difference maker, especially yes. the pass rush, it's, it doesn't seem to be there as consistently. Rodney Gunter has been a solid addition for that one, but you're not getting that kind of second at least push to be able to. Yeah, that you're not forcing the interception. They didn't turn over the ball once if you're the Raiders for that one. Cardinals did not force a turnover on the day, I believe, at least. I'll double-check to make sure there wasn't any fumbles, but they didn't force any fumbles. They didn't end up forcing any turn turnovers of Derek Carr and he'd thrown a lot of those turnovers too so that's the thing that you had at least overall was you were not able to yeah they did have a fumble but it was not lost um the Cardinals did not pick up the Jalen Richard fumble it, it was just a spot of the Cardinals gave the ball away and it was due to pressure like you said you even look at the DJ Humphreys not healthy enough to play in the game still having knee issues they bring in a rookie seventh round pick because they don't have the ability to be able to use a consistent guy and since he went to IR in their uh, in their left tackle and John Wetzel. So first play of the game, you, or first drive of the game, I should say, at least throws that interception at least off of the back foot. Just poor, poor throw, at least poor decision overall. That happens when you end up having those pass rushes that eventually get to you. You can't be able to keep it up like that forever if you don't have the confidence in trying to make a play. But it just goes back to show more of that you've got no offensive line. And it shows that the game plan, they had Josh Rosen only threw the ball 20 times. The game plan was to basically, you know, max protect. The one time they didn't was where they threw that interception. And the goal was to hand off the ball to David Johnson a lot. He ended up at 25 carries, about what he should get. He probably would have had close to 200 yards. But the penalties, the costly errors, uh, the drops that you were still at least seeing, just overall the entire game plan was this is a team that should have gone out and able to execute well against the Raiders. Some people were even saying they thought this could be Josh Rosen's breakout game. And, this kind of proved that he's probably not going to have the breakout game we're expecting. I, I'd argue he already had it in the Seattle game. If his receivers hang on, that's kind of the breakout game that you're looking for. But this yep. is just overall a broken team that needs a fixing hand. And it doesn't look like Steve Wilkes is capable of it. It looks like Leftwich, at least at this point, he's got a really smart, keen eye for being able to do enough plays to win the game, being able to make use of the talent that he has. But this is just not a team that's equipped. And we even looked and talked about it last night with the Chiefs and the Rams putting up over 100 points over on the scoreboard. They're not even playing the same sport as a lot of other teams. Raiders and Cardinals game, they didn't even look like the same sport as the rest of the NFL, or especially where those young quarterback teams with Jared Goff and Patrick Mahomes, where they're going off right now as far as with a new level of offensive production we've never seen in the NFL before. Cardinals have been taking steps backwards. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you watched that game last night against Kansas City uh, and the L.A. Rams. Of course, the Rams and the Cardinals own division and don't look like they're going to give up that crown as division champions anytime soon. Uh, it's, it's, it's very much like they're in a different league that the Cardinals are playing you know, high school level football and both of those teams are at the top of their game uh, in the, you know, in the United States, in the world. Like those are the best 
two offensive minds really in the league right now. And Andy Reid, Sean McVay, you could throw in Kyle Shanahan. But, I mean, like to have that much talent and specifically young quarterbacks to build around, like the Cardinals only dream of scenarios like that. But, again, I thought Seth Cox of Revenge of the Birds uh, made a great point on Twitter that, you know, those teams go in that direction. And, and the Cardinals hired Steve Wilkes to, to run an offense that was, you know, prehistoric to run a defense that looks out of sync and undisciplined. Um, and again, everybody who I hear from nationally in the national media, you know, nobody, you know, nobody is saying that the Cardinals are a good team by any stretch. Everybody mm -hmm. acknowledges that this team has major problems, but they also agree that, you know, they're talent wise. They're not the worst team in the league. They have blue chip players. I mean, yep. like Chandler Jones and Patrick Peterson are top, three to five at their position, if not – like Chandler Jones right now, probably outside of Khalil Mack, is the best edge player in football and could be better based on statistics. He leads the NFL in, in pressures and disruptions. Mm -hmm. Peterson is still a fantastic cover corner. Yep. Uh, Buda Baker is a very nice player. They've got some BC-level players on the defensive line that could any day play at an A capability. But still looking for that one true you know, dynamic interior defensive lineman offensively, David Johnson could have been the MVP of the league a couple of years mm -hmm. ago. You've got Larry Fitzgerald. You've got Christian Kirk. You've got the 10th pick in the draft. And yet this team right now is, I, I would think, based on what I've seen week in and week out, especially because of the struggles offensively, I think they're the worst team in football. Not the worst roster, but the worst team in football. I think that that's the general consensus around, around the NFL. And I think uh, at the end of the day, that goes back to who's coaching this team and who's making the calls, you know, on personnel. Mm -hmm. Again, Steve Kime, I think he gets another year just based on having the most sustained success in franchise history, being the G GM that oversaw that, being the GM that built probably the, the deepest roster, one of the best rosters in the NFL in 2015, NFC championship uh, contender, you know, participant in 2015. Steve Wilkes, to me, right now, is, is a guy that is on his final six games with this franchise. Mm -hmm. I, I can't see any scenario in which he, he'd be back outside of, uh, you know, the four-game winning streak or something to that effect. And there's no way this team is going to win any of these remaining road games. The only, the only way this team could possibly win one more is if they, they clip the lines at home. But, again, 3-13 and 13 in your wins are against Detroit and San Francisco. I, I still think he loses his job in that scenario. The, to me, the Cardinals, at, at the end of the day, this is, this is what rock bottom, for the most mm -hmm. part, looks like. And there's nowhere to go but up for this team. I would rather, and this is going to sound crazy, I'd rather the Cardinals be in this scenario where they have to – face change they have mm -hmm. to reevaluate everything top to bottom and michael bidwell has to look in the mirror steve kime i'm sure has done a lot of soul searching after this summer and then you know whomever they hire as head coach has to be innovative and you know i'd rather be the the cardinals in this scenario and it, at least have a clear outline of what i need to fix around josh rose and then somebody like tampa or Jacksonville or Miami, who is just, you know, in flux. They don't know what they are. They're 6-10. and 10. You know, the, the easiest way to build it back up is to tear it all down first. And that's why I kind of get frustrated. I understand, you know, you're loyal to certain players and you've mm -hmm. had success with certain guys. But, like, this is why the team considered probably trading Patrick Peterson. This is why I think they have to entertain Patrick Peterson trade offers in the offseason. 
The offensive line is a major concern that requires multiple resources, specifically in the draft, and there's only one or two ways you can do that. You can either get a bunch of picks for quality players like Patrick Peterson, who who are gonna that's gonna net you at least a first and potentially another day two pick. Maybe you get two first for him. I don't know. And and you can invest in what you need now to help elevate Rosen, or you hang on to those guys and you know what? You're probably looking at a similar season next year. I mean, like at the end of the day, coaching matters, but personnel matters as well. The Cardinals right now are just they are so poor up front that I that I believe that it's gonna keep them from being competitive until they upgrade a coach and upgrade an offensive line. You, you get hung up on these players defensively. The Cardinals have drafted so defensive heavy. And then you watch that game last night, and you're like, oh, you just have to be situationally good defensively. You have to have a couple key pass rushers, which the Cardinals do have. But you don't need to have blue chippers, pro bowlers at every level anymore. What you need is you need a stable offensive line, which both of those teams, the Rams and the Chiefs, have. Mm -hmm. You have to have innovative play callers. You have to have weapons, and you have to have the quarterback. The Cardinals need to begin to build that next core of young guys for this franchise to to be successful. And I don't, I don't, I'm not sure Patrick Peterson is part of that group. That's not his fault. He's had a lot of success with this franchise, multiple playoff appearances you know, pro bowl in every season, but he's going to be 29 years old. The future of this team and this franchise is the Josh Rosens, the David Johnsons, the Christian Kirks, you know, defensively, you know, Buda Baker is going to be in that, in that mix need more core players to build around so you can have sustained success. Then when your roster is built up, then you can go out and sign the key free agents that are going to put you over the top. You can't just go into free agency and spend X amount of dollars and everything's going to be fine. It starts in the draft and it, you got to have those resources. So I, I just get frustrated when people dismiss mm-hmm. trading certain players. If this is what you want the team to look like every year, by all means, hang on to Peterson and win two or three games every season. But it's not, it's not my, my choice. If, if I ran the team, I would go in a different direction. Right. And I think with getting back in with Peterson, we'll see what goes on end of the season if there's changes. I mean, if this is a two-win team and we don't know what that talk with Michael Bidwell was over as far as with promising and dedication to winning, that's part of why I wonder if this is a locker room that is going to end up potentially not turning on Steve Wilkes in that sense. I think they're still too mature for that in a lot of ways, but I think it's going to turn into a spot of you may end up not having a choice but to let go of Wilkes at the end of the season. And if you are going to end up keeping him trying to salvage things, it's going to for, the first thing it's going to do is it's going to really upset the fan base. I mean, that's kind of the thing. When you get a losing season like this, when you get a loss like the Broncos game, someone has to kind of take the fall in that sense. And I, I do think at least I feel sorry in some cases for Wilkes because on one hand, he was kind of put into a situation where he's a deep defensive coach who clearly just was in over his head and probably wasn't as ready to be a head coach as we thought or if he was going to be a head coach he needed to have the proper support system and Kyman Bidwell their choice that they were going to have for that support system was Mike McCoy who ended up taking the steps backwards in all those different cases and I think that you've ended up in a similar spot of the inability to adapt the inability to be able to maybe not see that creativity, but just the same type of problems week in and week out. You take a look at Jamar Taylor coming in because Buda Baker was out. He gets burned on a double move. He gets released uh, later this week, just kind of showcasing the fact that you're kind of having to throw things at a wall right now, kind of having to put in younger players to see what they have. And you're not quite actively reaching that spot where you're going to start tanking, but you're reaching a, a critical mass where most people, I believe at least are going to take a look at Steve Oaks and say, 
okay, it's not a question anymore of, is this the right guy or not? It's a thing of, yeah, we know we don't have the right guy. And I think that is where you get into a difficult situation because you really are looking at this as you, I, I was even comparing to with the Chiefs, the Rams, with, you know, there's things you can talk about with Leftwich with lack of, whether it's with play action or the scheme or how everything just seems so difficult for Josh Rosen. You just kind of get to that spot of saying, you know what, we just need to kind of get a, a fresh start. And I'm not sure what that looks like, but it does seem like this was kind of a game where going into the Chargers game next week, is that going to be a game that's going to mirror the Broncos game because the players have just kind of given up. I think that the rumors going into the Broncos game was, yeah, this is probably Mike McCoy's last game. Doesn't matter what happens. I think the team basically quit on Mike McCoy. What was surprising in that sense was the defense did as well, just kind of seemed to just give up and not seem to put forth the effort. And that was a bit of a shock for, uh, for us, at least was, going into that game it showed the lack of preparation and I think you're darn right when you're talking about how there's a lack of some types of football knowledge or a lack of football ability I, I keep going back to end of the game situation Bronco or sorry not the Broncos the Cardinals are lining up and they blitz off of the edge and you see from the scenarios like oh my gosh that was so terrible they someone didn't cover someone blew an assignment but even still the decision to then blitz in that situation where you had three guys who were on the left side of the left side of the formation and there was one player who's going to be there in coverage the one thing you couldn't do is let up a big play you could basically keep the guy in bounds as best as you can you could even let a guy take a couple yards out of bounds by letting up a big play it turned a 55 yard field goal into basically a game-winning chip shot and that was one of those spots of you've got timeouts for the Cardinals the Raiders have none if you're going to try to let the clock run out and blitz and see if you can try to bring and make a big play it's kind of a risking it for the biscuit. The problem that you can't do is you can't blow a coverage then on the back end. You have to make sure that you're buttoned up. This team still does not know what their assignments are after uh, this has been 10 weeks, 11 weeks now, including the bye, that this team still does not know what their assignments are. They're bringing guys in off the street. They're releasing guys. It's just a spot of this team is not getting it. And so then the question is, okay, how much of that is due to the talent that falls on Steve Kahn? How much of that then falls onto Steve Wilkes and this coaching staff? And you got to think that They've had 11 weeks to go over this. They have adjustments they should be making. You've got the opportunity there if you're Steve Wilk to say, hey, look, we're going to be blitzing a guy off the edge. They're going to have a full play. Call a timeout as soon as you're seeing that ball get snapped because you can stop a big play, make the adjustment, be like, okay, it's still a 55-yard field goal. The clock is still running down. And what scares me the most, John, is the Raiders were so bad that they almost screwed that up. They almost ran their players onto the field to kick a field goal. They would have run out of time. It's an up, stop, wait, we have to pull everyone off. So it was so inept that they had as far as the coaching they were getting. And yet the Cardinals were at the end outcoached by a John Gruden who almost screwed him up in the end. And I, I think it's reached the point kind of where I, I think I said to you, is if and this is goes go back to even what we talked about previously. If Steve Kahn is a good GM who got unlucky or a bad GM who got lucky. And I think John Gruden in that case was, he was a bad coach who kind of, in some of the cases, at least he made the wrong move and still ended up getting lucky out of it to win the game. The Cardinals gave that to them. And I think that leaves you staying that no matter what happens with Steve Kahn, you're probably going to have to move on from Steve Wilkes just because whether it's the lack of control, the discipline teams talking about, Hey, week in a week out, it's the same thing. Quotes that are saying, Wilkes comes in and said he started eight post-game press conference. Disappointing loss, to say the least. Same thing every single week. 
talks post game about Josh Rosen. I think the, I wanted to hear your thoughts on this, John. He talked about how post game with Josh Bynes, hey, yeah, he's got to come down with that ball. We got to get that turnover. Didn't talk about anything having to do with him working more for that. He talked even about Josh Rosen. We've got to work on stopping to get the balls turning over. You, you forced zero turnovers against a Raiders team that has not had a good offensive line. Gabe Jackson carved them up. They got carved up in the run game again for 150 yards. Like it's just an area where at some point the blame has to fall on the head coach. He's not taking that blame on at all and I think that this is the point where once you reach that point the players I think are ultimately not going to be able to put up with that I think that they're not going to play for him down the stretch and to make matters worse I don't even know if Steve Kime and the Cardinals are going to want them to play I may it may just be like a, hey you win a game you save your job I think it may just be a this is over it's done we're gonna play the young guys it's just it's going to reach this kind of dead, this dead type of team where you feel like two and 14 is an inevitability because the team is just going to give up the fight. Yeah. And we'll start, I mean, the national media will pick up on that. You'll hear Schefter. If, if that really happens where time has to intervene and say, Hey, you need to play these younger guys. We're not so much concerned with winning. We need to see what we have. You know, your fate's been sealed. Like that's going to come out. And I think we'll start to hear rumblings. You know, I, I was asked on Twitter, I think two or three times this week, you think they're going to fire Wilkes? tomorrow or the next game after the Raider game? I'm like, of course not. No. They're going to give the guy the benefit of the doubt to finish the season. Um, you know, and not everybody's convinced that he won't be back next year. I, I, I think he'll, you know, I don't think he'll be the Cardinal head coach anymore, but I certainly don't think Michael Bidwell or Steve Kime, I think both mm-hmm. of them like Wilkes enough, um, barring something unforeseen, to, to keep him on and let him finish out the season. That's just, it's a kind it's, of a yeah, you don't want to just let a head coach who's coming in be like, oh, by the way, if you lose out, we're not even going to give you the full season for that one. We're just going to let you go after 10 weeks. Yeah. There have to be an anger type of like you'd be looking for some type of meltdown or I'm thinking even of like hitting a player. He's not ever going to do it. That's the almost antithesis no. of Wilkes. The issue you have, and I even talked about this over in an article that I wrote, was the issue you have at least is Steve Wilkes seems to be the guy. He's the guy. He's the head coach. He's the one driving the car. The issue, at least, that you have, at least, is that he's still stepping on the gas pedal, but he's not admitted that the car right now, it's up on cinder blocks. You've got a smoke is coming out of the back. There's problems in the engine. He seems to keep saying, nope, we keep doing the same thing over and over. We just keep needing to stick to our run gaps. We keep making plays. We have to do this. He's refused to make the adjustments and alterations that are needed. And if you look at that, you can see it. The second half of most of the games the Cardinals have lost, they've been outscored and outrushed for the most part by most teams because they're not making the adjustments or changes that are needed. They're not making any type of um it's like it's the keeping so much with the same thing doing it and it's the ability of you realize at some point it's that he doesn't know how to change or it's the stubbornly refusing to change and then blaming it under the players instead that's the type of thing at least that does ultimately I think get you fired in the National Football League and like you said John hearing rumblings about that we've already had one we've already had Patrick Peterson say hey yes I wanted to have a trade and it's like it was whispered it was rumored and then even the media interview he just opened said yeah you know I asked for my release like asked to be traded from the team he just didn't question it or say no no, no, it's all good. He asked for his release from the team to go to a different team because he was afraid of like a lack of direction. That to me seems to be the most kind of damning thing. And that was two weeks ago. We talked about that, John, what's going to happen now that you have a post game with the Raiders or David Johnson and Josh Rosen look completely upset with the direction of where everything was going. They looked like they were legitimately angry with what had happened. Yeah. And I, I don't, you know, we're going to hear, you know, at the end of the season, how bad it, you know, this stuff always comes out. And I think that the point of frustration from Peterson is known now within the team. And 
one of two things is going to happen. He's either going to be convinced that this is going to get turned around or the Cardinals are going to oblige him and they're going to deal him in the offseason. Uh, but I, I do think that, you know, we're, we're going to see, especially in some of these road games at Atlanta, at the Packers, probably at San Diego this week, that this team is just not capable of competing anymore. I mean, you, you, you think about they probably gave their last best effort against Kansas City. Uh, following that Niner win and they had the buy in between. I mean, now it's just going to be like headshot after headshot, gut punch after gut punch. And like, I, I would be surprised if the majority of this team was still standing uh, by week 17 at Seattle and Seattle may have something to play for in that game. Mm-hmm. So the Cardinals to me are, uh, it gets to the point now where just like can players just not get hurt for next year. And that's the saddest reality you can live in, in the NFL. If you're just, you're praying that the schedule eases up enough that your players can stay healthy for next year. Like you're thinking, not only are you thinking 2019, but you, you want to make sure that nothing is compromised and nobody's career is, is cut short or their season's cut short. Um, you're not worried about statistics. You're obviously not worried about wins. The, this, the fate of this team has already been sealed, um, even if they do win one more game. But to me, I mean, Wilkes is the, the biggest issue to me right now the coaching staff has just been horrendously mismanaged from top mm-hmm. to bottom. It was a coaching staff that I think a lot of people question with good reason. The McCoy hire was a disaster. It looks like Wilkes and his staff are completely over their head. Yep. And just Wilkes himself uh, not taking accountability, kind of being short with the media. Clearly, this is having uh, a huge toll on him uh, you know, mentally and physically. And the disappointing thing for me, Blake, is, you know, after the game against Oakland, where that's the kind of loss where you have to take full responsibility as the mm-hmm. head coach. And not only did he not do that, he kind of threw the players under the bus saying, oh, it's 50-50 coaches and players. Mm-hmm. And, like, you can say that to the team. You can talk about holding each other accountable. But you know what? You just lost to a team that's openly trying to lose games. <laughs> you need to come as the head coach of this, fr- of this team the uh, really kind of the showman of the franchise, the leader of the franchise in some regard, to take accountability for that. Yeah. Bruce Arians would do that. Ken Wisenhunt would do that. It's not going to save your job, but it's it's a bad look for him. And I don't think he meant to come off that way. But, man, I think we're going to start seeing him. Now that he's more and more defeated, he, he becomes more and more defensive. because. Yeah. And the Cardinal media, we talked about it, the, the, the Arizona media is some of the softest in the country. It's not the East Coast media. It's not the big market media. And it's been getting tougher, get, at least in the last yeah. few weeks, which I think has been interesting. I mean, but if you're getting frustrated <laughs> with basic questions about schemes, concepts, like legitimate questions that are being asked, you're not being bad. The people just want answers because it's the same thing every week. You're struggling every week in the same areas. You can't stop the run. You can't pass protect. You have turnovers offensively. You're not forcing turnovers. You know, and he doesn't have any kind of, you know, you watch Sean McVay, you know, go off on a 45-second tangent on a specific play in the second quarter yesterday, and he's just like freaking, you know, uh, unbelievable memory and, and uh, kind of like Rain Man. And then you got Steve Wilkes. He can't give us anything other than his typical coach speak mm-hmm. and the same shtick every week. And I think it just gives fans uh, a reason to pause and saying, okay, like I ask this question every week, like what does Steve bring to the table? Mm-hmm. And 
you can motivate to an extent, but if you don't add value elsewhere, if you're not providing you know value defensively, clearly he has no feel for the game offensively in an offensive league in 2018. Like there's no place for you here. And that's the frustrating part is everybody likes Steve Wilkes, the guy, the person. And I think that that like, I get frustrated with fans that are openly rooting for him to, to not do well. Yeah. And like, it just, he, he's in over his head. Let's admit it. Let's move on. Let's wish him well. But clearly, clearly he is, they have Cardinals have a ton of problems. He's their biggest problem right now. And I think that following somebody like Bruce Arians was probably the worst thing that could have happened to him. Yeah. I felt like, and that's something we can talk about with culture with everything. Like he came into is still a lot of the trust, accountability, loyalty, a lot of the areas that he wanted to come in. And you're looking at a coach who was going to what, you know, the reports said he could work with three fours or four threes, wanted to move to the four three, wanted to say, hey, we're going to put Peterson in this situation. And then to kind of keep going back on that where Peterson, I believe, like, you know, he was following LaFell for much of the day. Ra- Raiders were down their top two wide receivers. And then they lost Brandon LaFell. And yet still they were able to drive the 63 yards in the last two minutes is just kind of a crazy amount where what fans really want is just for Steve Wilkes to say, hey, guys, look, this season hasn't gone the way that we wanted it to. That's on me. I'm sorry. Here's the plan we need to put into place to be able to fix it and put these issues. And instead, you just see constant deflection and a lot of those other questions and weird things that have happened. Like one of the questions that popped up, I think, that was interesting was someone asked, hey, when you're going through tough times, what, what have you talked to other previous mentors in the area? He's like, um, I really haven't. Uh, I know, like I've talked with Ron Rivera, at least for the most part. Like uh, he's got his own issues and stuff he's going through in Carolina. And that was like the end of the question. I was like, wait, I... Are you, are you kidding me? You're saying that whenever you're looking for help, you're basically admitting that you've not asked for help when you're going through a difficult circumstance. Well, no wonder. I mean, Ron Rivera went in as a head coach is notable for, he wasn't born Riverboat Ron. He became Riverboat Ron after altering his philosophy, realizing, hey, I'm going to get fired if I don't make a change with the way that I am currently managing, the way that I am coaching, looking at myself, like looking at the man in the mirror and making a change for that one, changing myself first. And instead, Wilkes is openly admitting, yeah, um, I I, I don't do that. I haven't talked to him about it. He's got his own stuff. It's all good. And so it was just an area of you got the feeling of, oh, this is a spot of when people are talking about he's a good coach or people are saying all these different things. When it came down to it, he either hasn't learned or isn't really learning. And that's why I went back to the stepping on the gas pedal, not realizing you got to take the car off the blocks, not realizing any of that. And that's kind of what concerned me is Byron Leftwich each week is like, oh, yeah. Bruce Arian said he constantly talks to him. How do I get David Johnson involved? What do you do? How did you manage things in this situation? And you got to see it on Sunday. David Johnson should have had 200 yards. They even brought up an amazing stat, John, that David Johnson is still on pace for 1,000 yards rushing and 500 yards receiving. In a down year, he's still averaging 60 yards, carrying 33 yards receiving a game. It's crazy to think about that he's walking into this despite the fact that Mike McCoy was just running him up the middle. It shows how terrible of a hire that was. And it shows just how not only special a player David Johnson is, you have to look at this as a, a wasted year of David Johnson ultimately at the end. And that's, that I think is what's disappointing to me ultimately, John, is that it's a year that was wasted. It didn't have to be. And I think a lot of that does reflect on Steve Kime. I don't think that it has to permanently reflect on Steve Kime. There's a lot of questions. I know that Cardinals fans have a lot of Cardinals fans would not lose tears if he was fired or let go, if they cleaned house. And I think that the process that they'll have to go through is going to be a lot of just evaluation and seeing, but 
I can take a look at less need, especially you can even look at the Chiefs. Chiefs let go of John Dorsey. He had a lot of awesome picks in it. He was the guy who made, traded up for Patrick Mahomes. You look at the Chiefs, less need. They are probably one of the most talented teams in the NFL with a talented offensive line. This is that same line that saw Jared Goff take all of those sacks. So I don't think that it necessarily means that the GM is something that you have to throw out, but it is a huge area of having to bring up all sorts of questions such as the Mike McCoy hire and coming in with a DUI, there are going to be areas that you're going to really deeply heavily question. So I, I do yeah. want to bring up one thing that's going to be interesting just because it revolves around some of the questions and conversation. There's a lot of Cardinals fans are looking at Byron Leftwich and seeing, okay, this is the one positive we've had for this season. Is this maybe the guy over the last six games to see how he manages the team? Is he a guy to build around? Or even as an idea that was floated around was the Cardinals are going to be going up against eight, maybe even nine teams if they go into it for other head coaches. Uh, Filippo is a guy we've talked about for that. I think that it's interesting to see a lot of Vikings fans are kind of questioning the process. His team is not running the football very well, which is a similar problem that you saw in Cleveland. Still maybe the top candidate, but it's a guy who still has not had previous head coach experience before. Still an offensive mind. It just brings up kind of a couple of questions. If he does go to you know, either a different team where there's eight or nine teams, people are not looking at this as a, not wanting to have a rebuilding job ahead of you. Even if you're the third or fourth ranked team, if you're still letting go of Steve Wilkes, that's some of the question, well, maybe you don't let go of Wilkes. Maybe you still say, this is a guy that we hired. We'll bring in a new, uh, maybe bring in a new O-line coach. At least there's, there's more and more rumors leaking out that they're not big fans of Ray Brown. Maybe he's another Russ Grimm. Maybe you're looking at the defensive coordinator saying, look, the guys aren't getting the scheme. It's not making the most use of the players. Let's go ahead and say it's not put on Steve Wilkes. Let's bring back Todd Bowles. Maybe it's even as a defensive coordinator because he's probably not getting a head coaching job after the debacle that's been with the Jets. Bring back some of that adaptability that you got to see down the stretch, uh, bring in that DC, bring in a new O-line, bring, keep Byron Leftwich so Josh Rosen is still in the same scheme, still has that consistency that he's not really had the same OC two years in a row since, you know, maybe even high school for that one. That's something that they're bringing up. And I think that to me would be kind of that door number three compromise. And I want to know your thoughts on that, John. Do you think that that is a acceptable option where you keep Wilkes, rework the whole rest of the team, and then give Wilkes and Kime one more season? And if you can't get it done in, 20, in 2019, then you kind of pull the trigger and move on? What are your, what are your thoughts on that as an option? Nope, uh, I don't. I don't like it, uh, and um, I think it's 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 a very sad state for your franchise if you're concerned about the other openings and competing against the likes of the Cleveland Browns for coaches. I get it; the Packers' job is going to be open. That's an elite job, but do right by Josh Rosen and don't muff this up for another year with this coaching staff. Like, think about the expectations that you need to set with somebody with like Josh Rosen high intellect, not just football intellect, but a high intellect in general. And you're just going to essentially, if you do that, you're cutting the legs out from under mm -hmm. Steve Wilkes. Wilkes handpicked the staff. I mean, you're not going to just gut the staff and keep Wilkes on with Leftwich for well, the sake except of for, having... Yeah, except for McCoy. That's the one thing I think that right. happened was that was, I think, part of the agreement. And that makes a lot of sense because you look at all of the rumors before the draft was, hey, Wilkes is probably going to want to bring in Filippo. You're like, oh my gosh, he might be getting like a gem of an OC with this team. This is perfect. You bring up, you get a quarterback, you got a guy to go with him. Even if he leaves after a year for head coaching job, you'd have Leftwich on the staff or guys who can take that place, keep that offense rolling. And instead, all of a sudden, it just changed suddenly to, oh, nope, now it's going to end up being Mike McCoy coming in. So there's like, what's the reason? Well, they are wanting a former head coach 
who's got experience to come on it. And it just showed that it was the exact wrong move the Cardinals made. If they didn't believe in Steve Wilkes enough to buy all the way into Steve Wilkes and everything, then that just shows that there's just issues that you'd have with the Cardinals staff. And, you know, we've talked about, you know, finding a Bulls. Maybe it's less about the coach. Maybe it's even less about a defensive coach and just finding the right coach. But that was the one move at least where I I'd questioned and wondered, maybe Wilkes won't be held accountable if Mike McCoy is fired pin it on McCoy it's all his fault now you've reached a point after this Raiders game you can no longer just pin it on McCoy I think that it is going to be through with Wilkes I think the fact that the Cardinals are probably not going to win another game Wilkes may not win another game as a head coach in the NFL I think that's going to reflect that yeah I don't I don't see him getting another job at any point uh again he was a first year coordinator when the Cardinals hired him so he was probably very fortunate he was not in the running for any other head coaching jobs uh openings that I know of uh and so I think it's you get you give Steve Kime Steve Kime if he if he is convinced Michael Bidwell that the personnel on this team is better than it looks then then he's going to get a coaching mulligan I have no doubt about that he hired Bruce Arians um he's done mm -hmm. well in certain aspects of his of his position yeah, this um, draft class. Look at this draft class. You got Rosen, you got Kirk, you've mm -hmm. got um, your third uh, round rookie, Mason Coles, a starting center at least. Yeah. You've got uh, Chase Edmonds had a nice run yesterday, at least that set up. I believe a David John. I believe it was a David Johnson. Uh, was close as far as for being able to get a touchdown. But if you look at Corey Cunningham, Corey Cunningham did not do bad in his first start at left tackle. He probably is outplaying, at least in the running game, at least in the passing game. Andre Smith, you might have gotten the swing tackle, at least it's a valuable position, or perhaps even a starting tackle or spot starting tackle in the seventh round. You may have all of the rookies on this roster were on that field on Sunday making plays. That, to me, is a sign of, hey, if Steve Kime had a terrible class or didn't get a quarterback two years in a row, that, to me, is well, a sign of you need to get him off of here. The offensive line it's a concern but I think it's an easy easy mulligan to pass when you take a look at just what he can say hey I look at this draft class I got these guys in here for that one mm -hmm. you're gonna go ahead and fire him he's gonna be the general manager of another team just like that they'll snatch him up right away Steve Wilkes he's not gonna be the head coach of another team right away if you let him go he may end up going back to a secondary coaching job if there's not a DC position that opens up for him yeah I, I just I think that Kime has so much accountability uh, credibility, I should say, with Michael Bidwell, even after. If Michael Bidwell was going to fire Steve Kime, he would have done it over the summer. I think he still values mm -hmm. his opinion. Right. I, I, I think that Steve Kime is somebody that this isn't a general manager that was hired um, without a lot of insight um, from Michael Bidwell in 2013. He had been with the franchise for many, many years mm -hmm. and was instrumental in a lot of their um, very shrewd personnel pickups, uh, i.e. The, the drafting of somebody like Adrian Wilson. Uh, and when Kime is on, he is one of the better – he was a two-time Pro Football Talk GM of the year, back-to-back -back years in 2013 and 2014. Like, yes, he had very disappointing draft class. Everybody has that. But remember, you mentioned Les Snead. Les Snead took the trade uh, down, I think, for Robert Griffin III. I mean, the, the Rams traded down. And he did absolutely nothing with all of those picks that Washington gave them. Still kept his job. Had a, had a below average team. Had a team that a lot of people thought had talent like the Cardinals. Underachieved with Jeff Fisher. Made one coaching change. And it, and it made all the difference. And it, we've already seen Bruce Arians, excuse me, Steve Kive, identify somebody like Bruce Arians as a quality candidate. Don't be afraid. Don't have that small-minded, you know, persona or – you know, be that short-sighted to say, you know what, we've made a mistake. It's okay to move on. 
we can, the biggest thing is with Rosen is you cannot jeopardize his career. You can't jeopardize your window to win with him. And that's not to say, I know we touch on the fact that we look at the rookie wage cap of five years and then it's impossible to win a Super mm-hmm. Bowl after that. No, it just gives you the best chance. And so you're already one year in. It's a lost year. You need to load up for next year and you need yeah. to be competitive. You're not going to promise postseason next year. Don't talk about retooling. Just talk about we need to get the best players to surround Josh Rosen with because we believe he can elevate this franchise and then let Josh Rosen dictate the kind of season that you're going to have. You're going to have a fourth-place schedule, $70 million in cap space, a top three to five pick. You're going to be able to do a lot of creative things with this franchise. The last thing you want to do is, oh, by the way, we're going to hang on to Steve Wilkes because we Mm -hmm. feel bad because he's going into year two. Pay him out what he's owed. Uh, he'll find a coordinator job. I'm sure You know Carolina, who's not great defensively this year, will probably bring him back. He'll land on his feet. He'll be you know millions of dollars richer. He'll make a, a nice buyout with the Cardinals. And then you go out and you find an innovative offensive mind to pair with Josh Rosen. I mean, it's it's not it's not that hard. Yeah. You're going to be able. It's a, it's a, the Cardinals may not be the most desirable place based on history and persona, but if you just took out a pen and paper and started checking off a lot of what I know these co- like David Shaw has come out and said, my wife won't leave the West coast. So any job I take at the professional level would have to be there. So if you're in, if you're interested in somebody like that, that's, that's, you know, he's not going to green Bay. He's not going to Cleveland. He's not going to Baltimore, but he would go to Arizona. It's a lot. A lot of it is more than just history. We, we talk about, we talk about some of these franchises who have been great for a long time, who are now jokes in the NFL. The yeah. Raiders were great. They're a laughing stock now. I, I think that the New York Giants might be headed in that same direction. You know, we, we've seen some of these second and third tier franchises. I mean, the LA Rams weren't a great franchise. That's not a great NFL franchise. Mm-hmm. They're a destination for, for everybody now for a lot of reasons. Oh, yeah. And, and the Cardinals can be that, I believe, with the right tweaks to this roster. I mean, the, the, the Rams don't have great history. The Seattle Seahawks, when they got Pete Carroll, didn't have great history, never won a Super Bowl. It's it's absolutely possible. Don't get this complex of, you know, that we are the Arizona Cardinals. Nobody will want to coach for us. They've seen as early as this decade, two coaches take this team, not only to the postseason, but almost win championships. Yep, yep, they've, yep. Seen, they've seen this GM build this roster to the point where it's one of the better ones in football. If they're sold, on Josh Rosen, which I would I would figure a lot of free agent coaches are more than, you know, the Ryan Tannehills of the world. Not everybody loves Lamar Jackson. Baker Mayfield comes with a lot of baggage in, in his ownership. And Dorsey fires coaches left and right. Like, you're going to get some kind of stability because you're going to be tied to Steve Kime. So you know Steve Kime's not going to fire you because he's on his second coach in two years. They're just – I think that you're shortchanging yourself when you're talking about – well, what about Leftwich? He's a rising star. What about Wilkes? Mm-hmm. Here's what I'll say on Byron Leftwich. It's just not great timing for him and the right. Cardinals because the Cardinals are facing a major dilemma that's bigger than him. If Bruce Arians was still on the staff, you could have had a, a great transition plan when mm-hmm. Arians wanted to hang it up if he had a rookie quarterback to eventually give the keys to Leftwich. That would have been a fantastic way for him to go out. Mm-hmm. That didn't happen. And now he kind of feels like this stepchild of Arians that's lingering around and people are concerned, like, what's going to happen to him? You know, the Cardinals fans were really concerned about what was going to happen to Ray Horton in 2012. The Cardinals got rid of him 
Everybody was in an uproar because it was the first time they had success defensively. And then they hired Todd Bowles, and he was better than Ray Horton, and he elevated the defense. The Cardinals are going to find a new coaching staff, somebody who can call plays in the NFL, mm-hmm. and they're going to be fine, assuming Kime hits the right guy. And we'll, and I hope Leftwich goes on, and he probably will have success elsewhere. He could end up being a head coach down the line. That's not imminent, though. The Cardinals need a imminent head coach, offensive mind tomorrow. I mean, that's someone to fix the. You need someone just to say, "Hey, you need to fix this problem." Leftwich came in, and he's kind of like fixed a lot of the stuff with David Johnson, but you still see issues as far as not just with protection, but when it comes down to with that with talent evaluation. And this is a guy who's in his what is it third game i think is a third or fourth game calling the plays for that one it's like guys please it's the third yep. or fourth game of him calling plays for that one. yeah is he going to be a rising star sure is he is he going to be a guy who you know say we're going to turn over the franchise to you where we're going to say here's the thing we're going to take away the keys from steve wilkes for you know the four-year contract and then turn around and give you the four-year contract and give you the keys to everything else for that one. And then if it turns out poorly for that, all of a sudden you're like, oh my gosh, we just <laughs> went around and made things worse for that one. There's a chance that it could be better. It could be that he's the guy, but because of where it is, you just need to have that level of, this is a guy that we know for sure is going to be a person who's going to fix this team, fix this offense with how it is. Leftwich has gotten it turned around. And I think that it's okay for Cardinals fans to say, sure, we're okay with letting him go. Perhaps he comes back next year. Maybe it's in a different type of area. I don't think that's a guarantee, though, and I think that he would probably want to take that next step to being an offensive coordinator for a different team, especially if the new coach is going to be an offensive guy. And I think that's just the one thing that's also tough is if you are a person who's calling for Steve Kime and Steve Wilkes to be fired, but to keep Byron Leftwich, well, you're not going to get Leftwich to be the guy who's going to stick around because what general manager then is saying, hey, we're going to get this guy who's called you know eight games as far as the play calls down, he's your coach next year for that, and you're going to be stuck with him as a general manager. Well, that's going to be a, that's not a sell that you can have for any type of GM if you're a person who says to just a clean house with Keith Lapwish. So uh, before we move on and talk a bit more just about the coaching, John, I wanted just to make sure that we didn't gloss over the performance of Josh Rosen because on one hand, you have a lot of people who are saying, look, he only completed nine passes. Two of them were intercepted for that one. He had a, a sack that was taken for eight yards. You're still looking at just the uh, kind of a defunct offense didn't hit 200 yards in the passing game against the Oakland Raiders, a team that on average, on average lets up 28 points, four touchdowns. You point at the other side, you say, look, this is a guy who had three passing touchdowns. First time in the game, he said three passing touchdowns. So that means that three of those nine completions were touchdowns. You also take a look at that second one to Christian Kirk, which I think is the one that will have a lot of potential future head coaches salivating as he looked into the play, checked into the play, audible got the ball to Christian Kirk broke one tackle he's gone 59 yard touchdown that's the thing that's going to get a lot of head coaches psyched because this is a quarterback who's smart enough to be able to see the field read the coverage make an adjustment to a player and then be able to get them free for a touchdown even if the player was you know getting the yak yards and the yak touchdown some of I think you even mentioned from Baker Mayfield it was a solid performance from Josh Rosen where not only did he go in after the interception bounced back he got the two touchdowns kept the game going then in the third quarter the Cardinals get the ball I think they had a a great punt from the Raiders at least I believe went into the end zone Uh, they didn't it was not a great punt I should say drives down the field gets the passing touchdown to Larry Fitzgerald to take the lead should have been game right there you'd see this is fourth quarter comeback from Josh Rosen he's got two of those now this is it and instead the defense is the one who lets it up for that one and that was just what was um, unfortunate not even to get into as we talked about the mistakes of David Johnson should have had a game ceiling long touchdown he had a holding called Jermaine Gresham and I think that was the most interesting thing to me was 
And this will be the last thing I'll touch on on Rosen before you go. Steve Wilson comes out and says, Jermaine Gresham, he can't do those things. Can't do it. Rosen comes out and says, no, I'm with Jermaine Gresham. You don't do that to Larry Fitzgerald. This is a Hall of Famer for that one. He even called him Mr. Fitzgerald, which I think is the first time in his lifetime any Larry's ever had anyone call him Mr. Fitzgerald. Um, but that was one of the areas, it was a divide between Wilkes and between Rosen, where Rosen took the player's side of it, saying, no, this is something you don't do. I'm with Jermaine on this. Steve Wilkes took the opposite side. I think that you're going to start to see a bit of a push toward Rosen as the kind of de facto leader of the team. And I said, I even called and said that you should probably make him, you know, an honorary captain if you want to. Sam Bradford, not even on the roster anymore. I think that this is the positive that you're looking for that you see from Josh Rosen. And even from seeing with Jared Goff on that Monday Night Football game, when I look at that game, he, he can go out and do that. Yeah, I look what Jared Goff did for that. Oh, yeah, you get him to line for that one. Make sure he's in the right scheme using that play action. That He can go out and do that and be able to have that type of a 60-point game. That He just needs to have the coach. And that's what we've learned, I think, with John. We talked about you need to have the quarterback. I think what we've taken it one step further is you need to have the quarterback. you got to have the coach to go with them. Cardinals currently do not have that guy. No, and they don't. And I, the front office, the coaching staff, everybody better get used to this kind of Josh Rosen because now that Josh Rosen has the the respect of his peers, which is really all that matters, he's going to speak his mind, and he should speak his mind, and he should hold this franchise accountable. Uh, and so I don't want him to get sucked into the mindset that I have to repeat everything my coach says. Uh, and I think Steve Wilkes was more saying that on the, on the side of, it, it reflects poorly on him when the, when his players think that they can kind of just act that way mm-hmm. in crucial game situations. And, and Jermaine was right. I mean, it inevitably it probably cost the Cardinals the game. Uh, I don't think it bothered, you know, a lot of fans in the sense that, like, we've already written off Jermaine Gresham as being one of the worst signings that the time has done. But at the same time, you know, from Rosen's perspective – Gresham is probably one of the better blockers on the team. He's somebody he's a hard worker. In. He's yeah. kind of one of those dogs. Like that's the thing about some of it is if there's a player layering on Larry Fitzgerald, he's the guy who's going to run over and push the guy. And he's like, sure, I'll get penalized by that. That guy's not going to talk on Larry Fitzgerald. What happened on the next play? Gresham was part of that blocking that freed David Johnson for what should yep. have been a plus 50 yard touchdown penalty. Wouldn't have mattered whatsoever. That's part of what I think at least with Gresham is where you look at and see the temperament of the room and be able to evaluate the players. That's part of why people like Gresham. And so you can say, yeah, the contract, no, that's part of it. But that's what I think touches into Josh and the leadership and the things that he was knocked for have turned into a strength. And it is going to be kind of a blessing for Cardinals fans. We're talking about maybe 10, 15 years, at least, of this guy assuming that they can protect him and keep him healthy. You're going to get to go from that to a guy, from Larry Fitzgerald for years and years, to a guy like Rosen who's going to say it like it is. And is honestly, he, he's probably even a – he's a – maybe a little bit more of a just as fun of an interview as Fitzgerald is like Fitzgerald is, you know, is kind of loosened up a little bit. He's not been kind of that same type of, you know, bland talking for that one. He's a little bit loose. He talked about like the MF rule with some of the areas that got a laugh from the press box and it's going to be entertaining. There's a lot of hope that we have to look forward to as Cardinals fans. The downside obviously has just been, you've been saddled with Wilkes and you're starting to see that it was such a bad move that you're end up going to two and 14. And even if the team does play hard, there's not much say you feel like that they're going to have in it no and I think at the same time Blake that you know it there's this is going to be a I, I think not only are we going to have a head coaching change I think a lot of this roster is going to get turned over I think you could see a lot of these guys out the door after this season outside of you know a couple key veterans that are still yeah. playing at a high level uh, I think you're going to see a lot of players and the Antoine Bethes of the world some of the veteran offensive linemen we've talked about Mike Ayupati. Uh, I think Gresham could be a cap casualty. 
you're going to look at probably the last two draft classes are presumably safe. You're going to look at the guy, the blue chippers that we talked about. Larry's got a, probably a lifetime contract as long as he wants to play. And then it's going to be up for grabs. I, I think Kime mm-hmm. theoretically could turn over at least a third of this roster this coming off season. And that's not to say that like Hassan Reddick's been a disappointment. They're not going to cut him after two seasons. But, like, I, I think that he's not guaranteed anything. I think Robert Kimdichie could very well be yeah. traded or cut after this season. DJ Humphreys is in a uh, fifth-year option year. This could be his last season in 2019. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you look at what Kime did in 2013, gutting and remolding that roster into a mm-hmm. 10-win team. It's going to need to do some of that same magic. Uh, yeah. at first, it find, starts with finding the right coach, obviously, making sure you're on the same page. But he needs to be – more accountable in the in the investment the investments that he makes because I, I thought that Kime early on in his career was very conscious of you know the money he gave out in free agency the picks that he used and now it's very much like you're going to give Jermaine Gresham what kind of contract you're going to sign Justin Pugh for what those were to me those are desperation moves that Steve Kime from 2013 to 2015 just wouldn't make I mean you talked about the Kime time signings we talk about the tremendous Eric Winston, John Abraham signings, Antonio Cromartie, you know, that's what led him to be a two-time GM of the year. We need to get back to that point where, okay, we're looking for our marquee players within the draft. We're going to develop these guys. We're going to coach them up. And then we're going to bring in key veterans on short-term deals. That's not to say you can't go out and be aggressive and get one or two, Mm -hmm. you know, quality players in free agency that that are in the prime of their career. But let's stop going after the late 20s, early 30s kind of player and giving them multi-years on, on a contract. Just not a, not a smart investment. And so I, I think, to, back to your original point, Blake, mm-hmm. you know, guys are going to say what they want here in the next six weeks, but at the end of the season, one thing's going to remain, and I think it's the fact that this is Josh Rosen's team moving forward. Everything else, in, uh, unfortunately, including Larry Fitzgerald, is secondary now. Entering the next phase of this franchise it has to be about what can we do for Rosen. So uh, again, a lot of a lot of the opinions of these guys just aren't going to hold weight and matter because I think a lot of them are just going to be gone. Yeah, I think that that's going to be one of the cases. It's the overturn, and that was the whole thing. I think we talked about going in was we had optimism for this team because we felt not that they could keep the same thing going, but you would be having a new look Cardinals that would win with defense like how they had been in the past, and now you're still getting the same issues and gaps. Um, I do want to at least credit with Byron Left, which I think it was one of the most interesting stats I found with showing how bad the Mike McCoy (laughs) signing at least was, was, you know, he had 71 yards per game average and under Byron Leftwich, you know, granted it's against three of the worst defenses in the league in the chiefs, the Niners and the Raiders said about 150 yards per game at least, which just shows the way that it was mishandled and mismanaged. I do think Wilkes in some cases because of the hiring, perhaps he was maybe set up to fail. Maybe that falls on kind, but I do agree with you that you need to go and have that strategy of committing to the young quarterback committing to. And what's interesting, John, is the Cardinals, at least they were perhaps in a lot of the moves, it was dumb, but they were dumb, but you don't want to be desperately dumb where you keep Wilkes a second season or rebuilding and still have the Rosen questions. So ultimately it's interesting because the Cardinals are probably going to go down the same route that we told them they should have taken in 2018, which was bring in that offensive guy, pair him with the rookie quarterback, go out and make sure that you're committing to that new type of offense. And it seems like they're kind of having to go back to that. And that is what's going to win in the league. Um, 
let's go and talk a little bit about a couple of things just to finish out. I want to touch a little bit on the draft just because the Cardinals moved up. They're now officially in the second overall pick. Uh, I think that looking at the Niners schedule where the Niners, they still have to play the Seahawks twice at least. They've been able to out of average ever since Nick Mullins took over. They've averaged 28 points a game, I believe. The Raiders were giving up that much overall. They play the Bucks, that uh, a team that looks terrible, has switched quarterbacks repeatedly through this season. A couple of other tough games that I still think the Niners have the potential to pull off another win in this season. Cardinals couldn't up with the number one pick. Even if they don't, if they lose out like how we think that they will, again, maybe the Lions game is the only one, maybe perhaps the defense puts together a last fit. I still would think that they may not care as much by that point to be able to put up a fight for Wilkes. It's going to be Rosen's going to be obviously the guy trying to motivate them in that sense. But what do you think as far as with the Cardinals launching back out of the top six or the top five picks back into a number one or number two pick with Nick Bosa, uh, Aaron Donald? I, I don't think that there's going to be as much of a trade down option because I don't think there's going to be a quarterback option. And I think the Cardinals are going to take whatever is the best talented player there personally, especially if you're considering how many guys as you're saying, are going to turn over in this team. Uh, what are some of your thoughts on the top of the draft right over there as it is right now with maybe those two players? Because we, we have to put it back into the conversation now. We were talking about offensive line or a Quinn and Williams. Now we get to get back into that, you know, uh, the, the, the playing, uh, what is it, the stick for Nick or, you know, uh, whatever it is with the tank game. What, what are your thoughts at least right that before we kind of move on to the last session of the night? Yeah, I think that you can never have too many pass rushers. It's it's the most important defensive position. It's one of the three most important positions in football, left tackle, quarterback, and then pass rusher. I think that Chandler Jones is going to be 29 next year, and I think that Marcus Golden's a free agent. I mean, that's enough of a selling point. If you think Nick Bosa is by far and away the best player in this draft, which most people feel like he is, could be project better than his than his brother, then you take them first overall, and you and you you worry about the rest later. There's still you know six more rounds to find depth on the offensive line, to find pass catchers, to find potentially a number two corner or a three down linebacker. I mean, it, the the only reason I think that you would give pause to this, and you just mentioned it, if there was a scenario where you were picking first overall and you had an opportunity to trade slightly down for um, a bounty of picks for a team looking to move up for a Justin Herbert. And if you were convinced that, okay, we love Nick Bosa, we think he's going to be a great player for a long time, but we also like Rashawn Gary, and we think that he can be somebody who can not not just uh, 10 to 12 sacks of the year. Same with Josh Allen from University of Kentucky. It is the deepest defensive line class and potentially the deepest edge rushing class of the last 10 to 15 years. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's just littered with quality interior and defensive ends, uh, Ed Oliver, we've talked about at length, Blake, uh, Quinn and Williams, who you just mentioned. So if that's your mindset, mm-hmm. I'm totally fine with that. And actually, that's kind of my preferred way of thinking because I'm always looking for, especially in the Cardinal situation where their, their roster is so top heavy, they need, you know, like the Colts had last year, I think like four, four, three, or four second round picks and to hit on mm-hmm. all four of them in some way, shape or form. Like the Cardinals need something similar. And, and so as much as I love Joey Bosa, if you have the right offer, um, make sure you're still sticking in that area where you can get an elite player. Don't drop down to 12 or 15. But if you're going to stay in the top 10 and get a first rounder here, first rounder maybe next year or multiple picks on day two or a, a young player, you know, we, I, I, we talk about, you know, a Gabe Jackson, if Oakland were to offer him in, a, in some kind of package deal, 
and it can help you right away. I mean, like I, those are all things that I would consider, but from a, mm-hmm. from a mere, if that, that option's not on the table and we're talking about the Cardinals having the first overall pick, I think Nick Bosa makes the most sense for, for reasons you just mentioned, Blake, listen, he is as gifted as a four, three defensive end that could stand up in a three, four, mm-hmm. Uh, he's somebody that could come in immediately and have it impact his rookie season, just like his brother had. Somebody who has no shortage of athleticism. Somebody who I think is going to be, you know, outside of you know the injury concerns. Somebody who's going to be a consistent performer at the next level. Um, and again, I just mentioned it. Like Chandler Jones, I think is going to go in the Ring of Honor one day. He's got an outside shot for the Hall of Fame. It's going to be 29. So you think about okay, like mm-hmm. you can almost kind of mirror this with what Denver did with DeMarcus Ware on the backside of his career and bringing in Avon Miller to dominate. Yep, 100%. And, and, having, and having that kind of marriage there with Josh Rosen saying, okay, we've got two bookend pass rushers. Now we're going to take care of Josh Rosen. And I would be completely fine. You take Bosa and you punt on defense the rest of the draft. You want to load up on interior offensive lineman or an, another mm-hmm. tackle, a tight end. I mean, the Cardinals. Wide receiver is another right. one. And, and I think that more and more it seems to me likely that if Larry Fitzgerald retires, it'll be because of other health stuff that I think has been going on behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. Still feels too much to me. But he's like catching multiple touchdowns in a game from Rosen for that. I could see him at least depending on it'd be tough for him having to come back because he hates, you know, the practice, learning the new offense, all the other steps that would go in. But I could see it being a case of him just looking, hey, I'm still playing well. I'm still playing healthy for that one. Uh, I could also see him, you know, potentially walking away if they're having to restructure or change all those different items. But for the most part, I, I, even if he is gone, you're still going to be able to have the opportunity. It's going to be really difficult to replace, but you'll be able to at least obviously get some of that salary cap space back in that sense overall. And uh, yeah, I think that it might be one of the maybe not luckiest things for the Cardinals, but if you were to tell the Cardinals, hey, you're going to end up with a, you know, if they land the coaching hire with that one, you're going to tell them, hey, you ended up basically going through, you got your franchise quarterback and you got a franchise cornerstone pass rusher maybe if you do win one more game you can say you got a cornerstone left tackle it might be kind of a blessing in disguise in a lot of different ways where you have to suffer and struggle through a year to kind of see that you needed to make a change versus a team going six and ten Wilkes is here next year and all of a sudden you're like wow the wheels really fell off we're now maybe a Todd Bowles and the Jets type of team trying to figure out where we're going to go um let's cap off tonight we'll have plenty more draft stuff I think to be able to talk about hopefully later in the week they'll have more of that type of a uh, plan strategy but let's talk just about the um who do you think, John, should be the next coach of the Arizona Cardinals? And let's go ahead and take it from here as we kind of close it out for tonight. Wow, that is that is an interesting question. That's going to be the question on everybody's mind. And mm-hmm. um, I think the only way to go is an offensive choice. I said last week I put, I put my mortgage on the fact that they're not even going to consider a defensive coach. They may interview one just for the fact of doing a favor for somebody, but they're going to go offense. Um, I would get creative. I would look at the college ranks. Mm -hmm. I would look at somebody like Matt Campbell, who's 36 years old, who's somebody, or I think 38 now, uh, was 36 years old when he he was uh, named the head coach. He is one of the most innovative offensive minds in college football. He's somebody who I think would translate seamlessly to what the NFL is moving towards. Mm -hmm. He is somebody young and could relate to Josh Rosen. Uh, That would be one of my first choices I'm a little bit concerned with DiFilippo with what's going on there and the fact that they're probably getting a little bit too cute offensively he's they've gotten some he's gotten some negative feedback from his head coach it's not it's not that I would say I would um not love that hire I would I I, I love the Andy Retree I love the the Frank Wright connection I love um 
everything about that. I would love that hire. Matt Campbell, to me, though, just seems like somebody who – it's it's kind of like that – everybody wants Sean McVay. You're not going to get him. But at the same time, it, it's it's very much, you know, head coach at Iowa State, that's a terrible program. The guy's gone 52 and 33 in his head coaching career, was the interim head coach at Toledo, and then took the Toledo job from 2012 mm-hmm. to 2015. Did great things there. Um, but, of course, he's an Ohio native, so everybody's connecting him with the Browns job. But I'll go outside the box, go Matt Campbell, and, and just, you know, I, I'm going with somebody young and somebody who I think would, would get the most out of Josh Rosen, and I think those two would kind of be pioneer. You, again, like, I want somebody who's going to be able to challenge Josh Rosen offensively, and I think Campbell can do that. And I also think he's somebody, if you hit on him, that can stick around for a little while. As yeah. much as I like some of these other candidates, like this is why I didn't want Pat Shermer in the offseason. He's old. Mm-hmm. Bruce Arians, the biggest downgrade on hiring him. He was 60 years old. Like the, the, the sweet spot of finding somebody like Campbell is you get the, you get the acclimate at the college level, you mm-hmm. get the innovation, but you also, you also get the youth. And you get a chance for you know to have your dynasty of yeah. of elite head coach and, and young quarterback. So that's yeah. that's that's my answer as of today. That's a really good pick because it's different, it's creative. I think he is a guy who's going to get NFL looks. It's also a different spot of unlike Steve Wilkes, who was a guy who specifically was only defense. When you're the head coach of a college program, we've seen some guys who've been able to be very successful making the transition. Uh, we've also seen some guys who've really struggled just because a lot of what college can come down to ultimately is not just coaching, but also recruiting and being able to have to scheme in a lot of different areas. But, you know, yeah, I think someone even brought it up after watching last night's game. They're like, wow, after looking at how the, you know, <laughs> uh, the Rams and the Chiefs just like went crazy on it for that one, you're going to be like, well, like is Cliff Kingsbury going to get NFL jobs at least with all that crazy Texas tech offense? Are you going to be looking at like, you know, some of those air raid guys who are there? I think that that is a place that you can look for and I think that there would be a little bit more development now the biggest thing I know that's going to be a tough one is it is going to be tough to find guys who have NFL head coaching experience I think you and I've been on the same page where they both wouldn't be like you know storming the barricades of the Cardinals training facility if they decided to pursue and actually did get Mike McCarthy but I think we wouldn't be as big fans of it just because of seeing some of the inconsistencies and the problems and issues. Yep. I think that we know that Rosen's production, that would take off. That's one thing you know about it's going to happen with McCarthy, but there's still a limit that we've seen over the few years of where, whether it was not defense was part of the problem. The reason, you know, the Cardinals, they can never seem to get past them defensively, offensively. They were always seemingly set with Rogers. Now you're looking at, wow, the offense just seemed to be struggling. Mike Pettin's turned their defense around. What's going on here? And a lot of it just does fall onto um, McCarthy and I think everyone has a time and place we even discussed it last year Bruce Arian was seeming to have a time and place um, with the Cardinals before he started to turn it around won a lot of games with defense and some of the best coaching jobs going against the things we've been used to from him it was probably one of the best coaching jobs of his career pushed him against Ken Wilson Hunt for wins we would have been fine if he'd come back the next year but obviously having to make some changes on the defensive staff would have been an issue he probably wasn't willing to do that even if he was going to coach again um, I, I think I'm a little bit less worried about DeFilippo as some are I think that it's a sure it's a concern for that you'd like to get a guy on the up and up similar to what McVay did Um, just the work that I know many have talked about with those quarterbacks in Philly and how Philly has 
really, really struggled, especially with, and even in the end of the game, I think with the Bears game, the, there was a lot of sacks given up. The offensive line was an issue and a problem. So maybe that's a concern and a excuse at the same time you can look at. Maybe you are struggling for some of the same reasons in Philly. I think it's a spot where the Cardinals are going to have to be creative in what their hire is. Um, perhaps that is the area where they do look to someone like Flip and be able to say, hey, we'll get that kind of pairing with Bulls top candidate that's there. But uh, I think that the other thing that you could at least look for and outside of with um, Campbell is you want to try to see about the creativity of, is there a guy who's on an opposing coaching staff of one of these top teams who is going to be uh, available? I know some people at least are talking already about the Taylor, the, the Taylor brothers, at least Zach Taylor is a guy. He's the offensive coordinator under Sean McVay. Is there a guy you can kind of poach from, one of those different types of staffs who could come in. I don't think we see John Harbaugh, obviously, as an option that he would come here. Not that it's probably the right option anyway. But, yeah, for me, I think if the pick I had to make right now, I think I would lean toward a guy like a Campbell or just look to the collegiate ranks. Is there a guy you can pull in? I don't think Lincoln Riley's leaving Oklahoma, obviously. But there's going to be a players and there's going to be those guys I think you can look for. And I think even in the college ranks – or excuse me, even in the NFL ranks, there's going to be OCs out there. You can get OC play. I would not be opposed if they said, hey, we're going to bring in a top defensive coach who's coming with a offensive coordinator who's a lifetime offensive coordinator, not getting a head coaching job. Like, I, I don't think you'd look at a Norv Turner like in the Panthers. Obviously, he's done some great work right now with Cam Newton. But if that's the approach the Cardinals do, I think at this point, as long as you have a head coach who you know is a proven guy who knows what he's doing, I think that's where you go toward at least that one. I think that's at least the step one is you want to make sure you get a good coach first. After that, that's one. One A is getting the good coach. One B is getting, I think, that offensive mind, being able to do the playing the future of the NFL, and then obviously pair him with a guy who can call the plays, fix things on defense, be adaptable at least, because you're going to have to rebuild a lot of these pieces on defense. But they is probably leaving Trey Boston's on a one-year deal. Perhaps you keep him. And you're going to have to build around that core of figuring out that spot for Hassan Reddick because you're still stuck with him another year. And Chandler Jones, I do think this is the last thing I'll say on Patrick Peterson is I do think that there is the chance the Cardinals would be more likely to say we want to keep Patrick Peterson. We want to say, hey, if he's going to be here for the next two years, if money is going to be an issue for you that you don't want to be around through while this team is rebuilding, let's pay you. We've seen quick turnarounds in the NFL. I think that it should be a easy sell for the Cardinals in a lot of those different ways of what the positives are. I think it's just going to come down to the decision making that's going to be there by kind, by Bidwell. And that starts ultimately, I think, with moving on from Steve Wilkes at the end of the season. And um, I'm, I'm going to be curious, John, to see how the, how the team plays over the last six games. Because if they play hard, they haven't given up. It gives a little bit of a spite of hope for that one. That's going to be a bit of a shock after this type of Raiders game where it seems like you're in for a letdown and a potential number one pick that's going to be in store. Uh, all right, so that's going to be wrap it up, I think, for this edition of the Revenge of the Birds podcast. That John, any last comments you wanted to make? I know we kind of went over Matt Campbell. I would be in agreement with you of bringing that guy in. I think that he's a very talented, smart head coach with that. Um, I'm very curious to see what the Cardinals are going to do because, again, like we said, there's not a lot of top coaching options out there, a lot of teams, a lot of competition. It's going to be really interesting if you are going to move on from Steve Wilkes, ultimately, which I think the Cardinals do. Any other last thoughts you had about the coaching or even how the season as a whole? Because this is kind of a, a franchise-defining game is how it felt like. Yeah, I think the biggest the biggest thing is that ensuring Rosen is 100% following the six game stretch kind of like you know you just pray that the offensive line can hold up the protection that can hold up i liked their game plan this week the 20 attempts 
I know Rosen would like to sling it more, but it's just I'm sure he's being told behind closed doors that we've got major liabilities up front. We just we got to protect you. That was the thing. He had one sack all game. It's a terrible Raiders pass rush, but yeah, one sack got, given up for that. It was, I'm, I'll take that. You're not scoring points at will anyway. You might as well go semi-conservative. And it looks like David is is running better than he had been. He had to get the rest off for missing last year. I, I think that that's working off a of play action, working off of a little bit of gun, and then working off of a you know an eye formation with David, I think is their best bet right now. And then you could see, I think, you know, I think he'll average, you know, 35 to 40 attempts easily next year with the right kind of head coach and, and the tweaks to this offensive scheme. Uh, I think that they're going to put a lot on him. They should. He can handle it. But I think that we need to just hope within these next few games that he's able to, to stay upright because I, I hold my breath every time he gets hit. Yeah, uh, yeah, I think I would be in that spot. And I'm, the fact that they're starting to switch to more max protect and everything, like there's still interior pressure that's going on. I think it'll just be whatever the game plan that's going to be designed. We already saw it against the Raiders. My hope is when they're facing these tough, rough pass rushes that they'll be able to work on preserving. I don't even care if it's if you start getting blown out against the Chargers. You got Joey Bosa and um, uh, not Mark Ingram, obviously. At least you're looking at um, Melvin Ingram. Ingram. Yeah, I was going to say wrong M Ingram for that one. They start basically just teeing up where you get down too much for that one. Just put in Glenn and for that one just say yep game is over for that one we're gonna put him glenn in for that one. not even having to try to worry about winning right now at this stage so yep. we're gonna have to move on that's the move i want to see what i don't want to see is josh rosen standing down there when they're down you know by 30 points still throwing the ball and getting sacked on third and long that's the one thing you don't want to see at least is having another third and 33 like you did against the raiders due to the offensive line play the penalties just make the adjustments to go ahead and be able to say hey this guy is our future we're going to keep him in development for that one but and part of that development is he has to to be able to be healthy and on the field. So that's what I want to see at least for next week. Um, just with the, the Chargers game, I think there's, if there's anything to at least a preview for that one, I think what you want to watch is is the fight still there in the team because I think you're feeling the Cardinals were maybe more of a trap game for Kansas City. This week, it felt like the Raiders were the ones that were the trap game for the Cardinals. This next week, I just have this feeling that it could be another one of those blowouts if the team gives up because everything that the Chargers have going for them, an elite running back in Melvin Gordon, a veteran uh, quarterback who's throwing for like, you know, 300 yards a game in Phillip Rivers, who's incredibly smart, and a defense that, you know, they've been able to take the ball away some. They're still struggling in some of the different ends. They're obviously struggling in special teams. I just feel like it has the makings of another blowout game potentially to me just because they'll be able to tee off Joey Bosa he's back now you can't just double up guys for that. It, it just feels like it's going to be another potential blowout in one of those games Agreed. Where might be looking at a second Broncos game if the Cardinals can fight to be able to keep it where it's closer then I'll be very very you know like impressed with them for that one and maybe it won't be obviously a savior game kind of performance from Steve Wilkes if they play them like they play the Chiefs um, I would be at least impressed with the gung-ho but I just get that feeling of this season just turned in this potentially and I don't think it's going to be a solid performance at least from the Cardinals next week yeah it's just it's it's frustrating because the Chargers to me especially last week you know took that team Denver team for granted I think now you know they're on high alert coming off a loss I think had they had they won last week I think there's a chance the Cardinals might be able to hang in this game just because like what we saw with Kansas City there could be a little bit of a drop off because the Cardinals are coming to town Mm -hmm. but unfortunately I think they're going to take out their aggression from last week on Arizona 
Yep, Chiefs, I believe, coming off of Arizona, they had a, wasn't they blow out the team like the the week before, yeah. I think, or something? It was like yeah. you were coming back home to Arrowhead. The Cardinals were coming off a bye. They had an extra week to be able to prepare. You kind of saw some of that come out with the strategy, the way that they played. They had a Buddha Baker. I think we'll see if Humphreys and Baker are back, at least for the most part. But Chiefs were coming off of a game where they, you know, were 37-21 on the Browns. The Browns put up a heck of a fight. But Chiefs just ran away ultimately with that game. Then they had a bit of a letdown the next week. Chargers are going to be upset at the way that they just got taken out in the last minute I think that obviously like you said this is going to be that type of a game and that was what my fear was coming into the Raiders game at least was I feel that this is a trap game for the Cardinals they feel good about themselves for how they played against the Chiefs said they made forward progress you know at the very end that was my fear is the Raiders coming off of that embarrassment were going to be motivated sure enough they were up 14-14 in the beginning of the game didn't have to be there and that's how it turned out so uh, yeah but thank you everyone for listening again to the podcast make sure that you again subscribing being able to make sure you like it we're having kind of our new version that we're having of relaunching our old version and we're now officially the revenge of the birds podcast and uh, we'll be bringing more content for you obviously we'll be shifting to heavily focus on draft heavily focusing on the coaching search it's very strange john that we're kind of repeating the same type of thing that we went through last year what i think is fortunate is there's a lot less to figure out since you're not picking in the top 15 at least at this point for what we can project and you're not having to worry about the quarterback but still some of those same kind of coaching questions same things we're going through at least we'll be previewing as last year and hopefully this is the last year we'll be talking about it in that sense that's right all right, let's go ahead and uh, wrap it up for that one. Uh, you can follow me at Twitter at BlakeMurphy7. John, where can they find you? I am at Johnny's Football. Uh, that's J-O-H-N-N-Y-S Football. Yeah, for sure. And I can also uh, find the writings on Revenge of the Birds. All of our podcasts will be available if you follow our Twitter account at ROTV Pod, formerly the Bird Gang Blitz. Uh, if you want to check out the latest article that I've written as well on Revenge of the Birds, it was one of the tougher ones I've had to write this year. I'm at least proud of just being able to kind of take a look at why the season's gone off and just the fact that Steve Wilkes is it's probably the, the fact that time is running out for him after all. Well, thank you everyone for again for tuning in with that one. We appreciate all that. Make sure you can always like and subscribe on Apple Podcasts as well as tuning in for the show. I uh, appreciate that. Make sure you do share this with listeners. Um, as far as questions to answer, I know that we didn't get to as many of those this week. People I know have been talking about what to do with Leftwich, what to do kind of with a lot of farms. I think we answered a lot of those that we had received at least in the show. But always feel free to drop us a line. Send us a message for that one as well if you're interested with that. Thanks again. And and have a good one, everyone. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher. I want to tell you about another podcast you should check out. It's called Recode Decode. Every week I talk to tech and media's key players about how they're changing our world. I interview tech executives like Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg, political figures like Hillary Clinton, and media personalities like John Carreyou, who literally wrote the book on Theranos. Once again, the name of the show is Recode Decode, hosted by me, Kara Swisher. You can find it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the show. See you there.